Thank you, Dave. I, I think about my friend Randy. He, uh, he was a 12-year-old Pentecostal preacher, uh, and he was often obnoxious in his presentation of the gospel. He was so in my face that I would skip school some days because I didn't want to hear from him. Because he would, he would do things like I'd walk in the classroom door in the morning and he'd say, Chuck, it's a, it's a good thing you live through the night. Uh, be, because he would say, you would be in hell right now if you, if you hadn't. And, and you know, I look back and I think I had, I had not been raised in a Christian home. I'd never heard the gospel. I knew none of this. I thank God that he sent somebody who didn't back off. Because when the Lord saved me and called me to preach, my world got rocked with, with the gospel and that's what we're talking about this weekend. We're thinking about billions of people around the world who have no knowledge of Jesus, who've never heard the name. And we're talking about supporting our colleagues, our friends, our missionaries that go and then being challenged ourselves to ask, what role do we play in this? And that's what I want you to think about this morning. I want to say thank you to you, first of all, as you've heard our missionaries say thank you to you all weekend long. On behalf of our students at Southeastern Seminary and all of our missionaries around the world, I too thank you. I have the privilege of seeing in the students' lives and in missionaries' lives and the lives of nationals, I have the privilege of seeing what God is doing through the giving of His people, and you're a part of that. And so I just want you to know that uh, we don't give just a perfunctory thank you. We know we get to do what we do because people like you give, and I, I thank you for that. All right, you ready to get in the Word? Let's get our scriptures. Matthew 28 Verse 16. We go to Matthew's gospel, Matthew's expression of the Great Commission. And I pick up in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All right, I want you to get this this picture in front of you of Jesus commanding his disciples to make disciples. So bracket that, and then I want to take you into another scenario. I want you to imagine with me, and maybe as I describe this scenario, you lived this story even this morning. I want you to think about a little one in your life, a child in your life, a preschooler perhaps, and you tell him to do something, he completely ignores you. You ever had it happen? So you tell him again, and this time he's got better stuff to do. He's playing in the dirt. He's, he's, he just found other things to play with, and he's not listening to you. So you tell him a third time and a fourth time and a fifth time, and it's as if he's completely deaf to your words. You're not even in the same universe, it would seem. And finally, you reach the point to say, how many times do I have to tell you before you listen to me? How many times do... I have to tell you before you listen to me. I wonder this morning if Jesus ever wishes to say to us, how many times must I tell you before you listen to me? 
Because you see, we read Matthew's gospel, the Great Commission, but this is not the only time in the New Testament that we see this. In fact, five times we read Jesus' words that echo this same theme. In Matthew 28, we just read the words. In Mark 16, Jesus tells his disciples to preach the gospel to all the world. In Luke 24, he tells them to preach repentance and forgiveness of sins to all the nations, to all the peoples of the world. In John chapter 20, Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you out. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said that you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. And so not once, twice, Three times, four times, but five times Jesus gives us this command. And then I come all the way forward to today, and three billion people in the world still have little or no exposure to the gospel. On our continent, in our churches, we have entire generations of people who've never really been discipled. And I wonder if Jesus would say to us today, how many times must I tell you? For you listen to me. I want us to go back to this text and just unpack it and challenge each of us to consider what's our role in the Great Commission. So if you've got a pen, you've got a pencil, you can type in your phone. I want you to take some notes here. I want to walk through this text, and here's point number one. Point number one from Matthew 28, our task is to make disciples. Our task is to make disciples. Let me show you this from the text. Matthew 28, verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Here's the singular command of this text. We are to make disciples. We're to teach them. We're to make disciples. We're to baptize them. And we're to keep on teaching them. That task is an extensive one. It begins all the way back here where I open my mouth, as my friend Randy did, and I share the gospel with a non-believer. That's the first step in someone becoming a disciple. He hears, he hears the gospel, and the Spirit of God begins to work through the Word of God, and He convicts hearts, and people come to the place where they respond to Christ in faith and turning from their sin, and they trust Him, and God takes them and transfers them from the kingdom of the enemy to the kingdom of His beloved Son, and we rejoice in that, and we rejoice as that person is baptized to show his or her faith in Jesus, to model the gospel through even baptism. But our task isn't done then either. Our task is to keep on teaching them, to teach them to obey everything that Jesus commanded, all the way down to this believer now turns around and teaches other believers, so the gospel just keeps spreading through the process. That's our task. It's to share the gospel to lead people to follow and lead people to obey. It's to take people from lostness under the power of God to come to the place where they think like Jesus and they act like Jesus and they talk like Jesus and they love like Jesus and they pray like Jesus prayed and they go to the world like Jesus came to our world as God conforms us to the image of his son. And this task is not an easy one because our message isn't an easy one. Think about it. Jesus said, if a man follows me, he has to take up his cross daily. He has to deny himself to follow Jesus. He said that it's he that loses his life that will save it. 
She said, if, if anyone comes to me, he has to hate his mother and father in comparison to his affection for me. We're to press forward, always plowing forward, never turning back in following Christ. And indeed, we're to be willing to die if that's what God calls us to do. And that's the cost of our following Him. And then we're to make disciples of all the peoples. The Word says in verse 19, to make disciples of all nations. All the peoples of the world. That's our task. And so I think this morning about my African friend who's still sacrificing animals to appease his gods, to try to keep them happy. And it's our calling, it's your calling, it's my calling to lead them to Jesus and make disciples. I think about my Buddhist friend who, who offers fruit to forces that are just out there. and It's our job to lead that person to know Christ. I think about my Muslim friend who, who's hoping beyond hope that his, his good works outweigh his bad works for his eternity. And it's our job, it's our command to make disciples of them. I think about my European friend who denies there's even any such thing as a personal God. We too must go to him and share the gospel with him and lead him to follow Christ. Then I think closer to home, I think about my trainer in Wake Forest, North Carolina, who doesn't know Jesus. I think about my own mother, 77 years old. She's not yet come to the place to, to just follow Christ. And maybe today you think about your family member, or you think about a neighbor, or you think about a coworker or a classmate, all the way to the last person on the globe that needs to hear the gospel. Our command is to make disciples of all of them. It can be risky because when we speak truth to people, sometimes we risk relationships. It can get messy because when we get into their lives, we learn about their issues, we learn about their struggles. It can be scary because what if I say something wrong or, or they ask me a question that, that I can't answer? Sometimes it makes us vulnerable because the minute you start talking to somebody about their spiritual condition, they'll start watching your life a lot more closely. And yet here's our command. It is for all of us to make disciples. And I'm reminded as, as Dave took us back to my story, I think about what God does through one person. My 12-year-old friend told me about Jesus, and I have no idea why God's still using me to preach his word, but one 12-year-old made a difference in my life, and God lets me serve him. One person. That's our command, to make disciples. Let's go to point number two. Our first point is this. We're commanded to make disciples. Here's number two. It is Jesus. It is Jesus who commands us to make disciples. Let me show you this. Go with me to verse 18 of Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Let me bracket that for just a second. If you've memorized the Great Commission and you started in verse 19, go therefore make disciples of all nations, I encourage you to back up and memorize it again because Jesus said something that matters here. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That matters, yes? Let, let me illustrate it this way. Go back to your preschooler who paid no attention to you the first time when you said you need to do this. So you tell him to do something else, and this time he hears you, but his response is this, but why? 
And you tell him again and again he's inquisitive, but why? And a third time, but why should I do this? And you tell me. He asks you enough times, and what is your answer? You tell me. Because, because I told you so. You ever done it? What do you say when you say, because I told you so? Here's what you're saying. You're saying, because of my position in your life, because of my authority in your life, I have a right to tell you what to do, and you just have to do it. Right? That's what we're saying. Well, if we do that, how much more does that matter when the one who speaks is Jesus Christ? When Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, and then he says to us, as you go, you make disciples of all the peoples. Who is this Jesus? Who is this one who gives us this command? Well, Matthew 28, we're at the end of the book. So we could back up to the beginning of the book and just read through it and find out who this Jesus is. Here's who he is. He's the descendant of David, announced long before his birth. He's the baby in Bethlehem who's come to save his people from their sins. He's the Son of God of whom the Father says, in you I am well pleased. He's the one who speaks and demons flee. He's the one who teaches, and the people are amazed. They've never heard anybody quite teach like he teaches. He's the healer who, who cleanses lepers, who lowers fevers, who gives legs to the lame. He's the one who raises the dead. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the feeder of the, the thousands. He's the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's the crucified one. He's the buried one, but he's also the resurrected one and the ascended one who will come again someday in all of his power and glory, and we will all bow before him, he as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And this Jesus has a right to tell us what to do. Jesus who gives us this command. So if you say to me, you know, I'm here at the Global Impact Conference, but I don't really want to consider even taking a short-term trip. It's just really comfortable here. I don't really want to even look at that option. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's not your call. Or if you say, I, I definitely don't want to think about long-term service. I don't want to think about packing stuff and going and serving. Maybe I don't even want to go next door to my neighbor to tell my neighbor about Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's not your call. Maybe you say, I, you know, I dedicated my, my babies to the Lord, but I don't want to release them to go to a war-torn country where their lives are at stake for the gospel and I get the emotion behind it, but it's not your call. Why? Because it's Jesus who gives us the command. Here's, here's the picture. When I pastored in Ohio, Pam and I uh, had next-door neighbors who had a little boy in their family. Charlie was his name. And I was in my back office in our house one day, and I heard a knock on the door, and Pam went to the door, and and I heard Charlie's little voice say, hey, can, can Mr. Chuck come out and play? Uh, and, and Pam said, well, let me check. And so she came back, and, and I had some time, so I went out. And, and Charlie, was, Charlie was pumped because he had just received a new wiffle ball and a bat. 
So he said, Mr. Chuck, here's what we're going to do. You, you back up by that tree over there, and I'm going to stand over here, and you throw this ball, and I'm going to hit it with this bat. And I said, all right, Charlie, let's do it. So I backed up. I threw the first pitch. Charlie swung. Not even close. So we tried it again a second time. I threw the pitch. He swung. He missed worse than the first time. So we tried it a third time. I pitched. He swung. Forget it. He wasn't going to hit that ball. By that point, he's getting exasperated at me. So he picked up this ball, and he threw it back at me as hard as his little arm could do it. And he said to me, Mr. Chuck, you're doing it wrong. I said, Charlie, what do you mean I'm, I'm doing it wrong? He said, Mr. Chuck, you're supposed to be throwing the ball where I'm swinging the bat. I said, uh-uh, Charlie, that's not the way it works. But listen to me, it, it doesn't work that way with God either. Some of us say, God, I'll follow you as long as you're pitching where I'm swinging. God, I'll follow you as long as it fits in my box and as long as it fits my goals and it doesn't interrupt my dreams, then I'll follow you. But hear me this morning. Almighty God does not adjust His pitching to us. It's our command to adjust our lives to whatever He commands of us. You with me? It's Jesus. It's Jesus who gives us this command. And we adjust our swing to wherever He wants us to go and whatever He wants us to do. So what's our command? It is to make disciples. Second, it's Jesus who gives us the command. Here's point number three. We do this work in His power. We do this work in His power. Go back with me to Matthew 28 again. And let's see how this book ends. I pick up in mid-sentence in verse 20. Jesus is giving the, the Great Commission. He says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you how long? Tell me. Always. Always. To the end of the age. Now, why does that matter? Well, hang on to chapter 28. Mark chapter 28. Put your finger there and back up with me to Matthew chapter 1. Let me show you how this book starts and how this book ends. Go back to Matthew chapter 1, picking up in verse 20. Here's the, here's the setting of this text. Joseph and Mary are betrothed. Joseph learns that Mary is with child and it's not his baby. So he decides to put her away privately and he gets a word from the Lord. Verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. God with us. You see, this book starts this way. God's coming. God's coming to be with us. Not, 
another prophet, not a rabbi, God's coming. And this God who's coming to be with us is the God who compels us to go to the nations, and He's the God who is with us even now. In fact, I mentioned to you five times the New Testament talks about the Great Commission. Each time the New Testament talks about the power God gives us. In Mark 16, though there's some debate about that text, there's the picture of God's empowering His people. In Luke 24, Jesus says to his disciples, you go to Jerusalem and you wait until I give you power from on high. In John chapter 20, when he says, as the Father sent me, so send I you. In the next verses, he breathes on them the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 1, before he says, you will be my witnesses, he says, the power will come upon you. And here's what God says to us, I will be with you. I'll be with you. This is the God who called out Abraham to be the father of a people. This is the God who said to Isaac, I will be with you. This is the God who said to Moses, I will be with you. This is the God who said to Joshua, I'll be with you and I'll give you the land. This is the God who said to Gideon, I will be with you and strike down Midian. This is the God who said to David, I've always been with you. This is the God who said to Jeremiah, don't you be afraid of anybody because I will be with you. And this is the God who says to us in the New Testament, he lives in us. Years ago, I talked to one of our missionaries in East Africa. He had moved his family to that part of the world, and not long after they got there, their young daughter became quite ill. And in fact, he said to me later that he would sit by her bedside at night and pray, God, please don't take her home tonight. They took her to a neighboring country for better medical care, and there they treated her, and still she did not recover, and the doctors there said, you've got to bring her back to the States, and that they did. They brought her back here and got her to a great medical center, and the doctors treated her, and she overcame her illness. They returned to the field. In fact, they not only returned to the field, they went back to a place sometime later, a more risky place of the world, and I was talking with this little girl's daddy, and I said, tell me something. When you were back in the States, and your daughter had the best medical care that she could get, and grandparents are there, families there, did you ever think about just staying in the States? There are plenty of needs here. And I'll never forget his response, because he answered without a moment's hesitation. He said, no, Dr. Lawless, in fact, we cried. He said, we cried over our daughter and we cried over our people group. We prayed for God to heal our daughter and we prayed for God to send us back to our people because we knew that when we accepted God's call, we would go in His power even if it's risky. How do you go back to a place where your daughter almost died unless you do it in the power of God? I had a student some years ago. We were having a prayer time in our class he raised his hand and said, would you please pray for me this weekend? I'm going home to talk to my mother. He was a Haitian student from Haiti. He proceeded to tell us, I'm going to go home and tell her the good news, the gospel. She, by the way, was a voodoo priestess. So he went home. He told the story. He came back, and the next week he raised his hand and said, let me tell you the report. We asked for what happened, and, and he said, you know, I got there. I told my mom the gospel and he said, got up the next morning, and my mother kicked me out of the house. She said, you got to get out of my house. I said, why would, why would she do that? And here's what she said to her, to her son. Because when you're in my house, I can't tap into my powers anymore. The power of your God stops the power of my powers. This is the God 
who lives in us. This is the God who indwells us. So what does that mean for us? Let me just quickly point out what that means for us. First thing it means is this. Every excuse we have for not playing a role in the Great Commission loses its power. Every excuse does. Because think about it. Every sentence that begins with, I can't, doesn't work if God's with us. Right? Doesn't work anymore. Every sentence that begins with, I won't, isn't real smart if God's with us. Jesus says, I'm with you even to the end of the age. I'm with you always. Here's what he's saying. Your excuses don't work anymore. It also means this. It doesn't matter where we serve him. If God leaves you right here serving him in this city to reach this city, God's with you. Or if God says to you, nope, I want you to think about going to some other place in North America and share the gospel even on this continent, God will be with you. Or if God calls you to go to the farthest place of the earth where the gospel has not gone, he will be with you. Our excuses are gone. Our geographic location doesn't matter anymore if God's with us. Our command is this. Make disciples. It's Jesus who gives us the command. We do this work in His power, and in His power we can get it done. That takes us to point number four. Point number four, all of us must be involved in the work of the Great Commission. All of us. Let me show you this textually. Go with me to Matthew 28, verse 16. Let's go where we started. We read the text. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Eleven disciples, they go to the place where Jesus told them to go. Some scholars believe there were likely many more followers of Jesus there at the time. Some even uh, surmise that maybe this is when Jesus appeared to the hundreds and What we do know is this, there are some who who see Jesus and they worship Him. He's the risen Lord. But there are others who are struggling, they're doubting. They're not fully on board yet. They've never really seen anything like this resurrection. This is new territory for them. They want to believe, but it's a wrestling match for them. You know what? That shouldn't surprise us because think even about Jesus' disciples. These 11 on the mountain, they weren't religious leaders. They weren't scholars. They weren't trained preachers. They weren't used to standing before people speaking. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were zealots. They were nobodies. For some of them, we know very little about them. They didn't always listen to Jesus. They didn't always hear him well. They struggled with faith and obedience. They failed at ministry at times. You may remember they tried to cast a demon out of a boy and they couldn't get it done. And all the while, while they can't get these things done and while they struggle and while they wrestle with faith, they're also arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom. They're jockeying over who has the best seats in the kingdom even when they don't follow Jesus well sometimes. They all said they would die for Jesus. And they all ran when the pressure was on. They're not likely the men that you and I would call out to put on their shoulders the work of a global movement. They're nobodies. So what's the point? God calls 
nobodies to do His work so that He alone gets the glory. It's not those of us who want to build a name for ourselves who do the Great Commission well. It's those who would say it's not about me in the first place. It's about getting the good news of Jesus to the nations. So if you say to me today, you know what, Chuck, I, I can't do that. I can't go tell somebody about Jesus. If you say to me, I, I can't even think about even a short-term trip. I can't think about talking to my coworker because I don't, I don't have the words. I don't have the ability. I don't have the training. I don't have the equipment to get all of this done. Here's what I would say to you. Number one, the power of God is in you if you're a follower of Jesus. That's all you need. Number two, when you recognize you can't do it, you're precisely where God wants you to be because then He alone gets the glory. And what does that mean for us? It means that for every one of us in this room, there is a role for us to play in the, in the Great Commission. All of us can give, for example, to support missions. I mean dollars. And many of us, my guess is, we can give more than we give. Let me challenge you. As you think about your global impact fund, as you think about giving to Lottie Moon, as you think about giving to the work of God in general, let me challenge you to give until you feel it. That is, you give until it hurts. You give until there's real sacrifice. For some of us, we may give a lot of dollars, but it comes out of our excess and we don't even miss it. That's not sacrificial giving. God may say to you, for the sake of the nations, I want you to jump it up in your giving. All of us can pray for missionaries and people groups. And I don't mean just this weekend of the year. I mean we put this in our DNA that we learn about missionaries. We let Dave lead you and, and guide you. Learn about missionaries. You learn about people groups. And God begins to, to, to shape your heart. And you can't help but want to intercede for them. All of us can do that. Many of us, many more of us, I'm convinced, can, can go to the nations. If you've never taken at least a short-term trip to go take the gospel to some place, when Jesus calls us to make disciples of all the peoples of the world, I would challenge you, you need to pray about that. And frankly, I doubt you need to pray long because this is Jesus' command to us. At least to say, I'm looking at this possibility. All of us can pray this way, Lord, and hear this prayer, do you want me to pack my bags and go to the world? We can all pray it. It's giving God a blank check that says, you're God, I'm not. God, I'm laying my life on the altar. If you want me to go, I'll go. Young persons in this room, in the worship center, You've got all your plans already laid out. You've decided you're going to finish school. You're going to do this. and You've got it all worked out. You need to lay your life on the altar and say, God, do you want me to go? Wherever you are in your life, retirees in this room, you often have more time, discretionary income. If God's giving you health, ability to do that, I would challenge you. You need to pray, God, do you want me to go? Young couple raising your family. You've seen missionaries this week who moved all their family overseas to risky places. You need to pray, God, do you want us to go? We can all do it. All of us. All of us. All of us can do it.
What's your role? Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations. Would you pray with me, please? I want the privilege of just praying for you, and in just a moment, Pastor Dave's going to come, and he's going to give you opportunities. He'll challenge you to consider specific ways that you can do something as a result of this weekend. And I'll just tell you straight up front, my prayer is going to be that the Spirit of God would convict you and would not allow you to rest until you take some step to do something for the sake of the gospel. Father, I thank you for these people, for this church, for this pastoral staff, elders, all those that have already put in the DNA of this congregation a heart for the nations. Lord, we know that we don't all get there readily. So I do pray now that in the power of your spirit, you would move on our hearts, that we would be willing to say, Lord, what would you have me do? No matter what it costs, we would be obedient because it's Jesus who gave us the command. Because we want others to know the Christ who loves us. Keep us awake at night, Lord, until we follow you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.